0: Well, if you'll keep your Bibles open and turn with me to the Old Testament, now to 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5, we're continuing in our sermon series on the life of the two prophets, Elijah and Elisha. And this morning, as your bulletins say, we're going to read verses 1 through 27. For the sake of time, let us just read verses 1 through 14, the account where Naaman is healed of leprosy. Verses 1 through 14 of 2 Kings chapter 5 in our series of the life of Elijah and Elisha. Continuing to read and hear from God's word, now from the Old Testament. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was also a leper. Now the Syrians, on one of their raids, had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his lord, Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Are not Abania and Fafar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? He has actually said to you, Wash and be clean. So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God remains forever and ever. Well, one of the perks of being a New Testament Christian, living in New Testament times, is that we get to read stories like the healing of Naaman with our New Testament glasses on, so to speak. We get to read this text, chapter 5 of 2 Kings, this interaction between Elisha, the prophet of God, and Naaman, this man of great valor, and we we get to see how the Gospel message very clearly is taught through this scene or this circumstance or situation in the life of Elisha's life. All throughout the Old Testament, in fact, we have these prophets and these messengers of God who we would call uh, types of Christ. They foreshadow Christ. They teach us something about Him. And yet, at the same time, they point us to a greater Elisha. You see, Elisha, as he declares here, being the very mouthpiece of God, how to be clean... It's Jesus Christ himself who will teach us how to ultimately be cleansed from our sins. And so in a parallel parallel manner, I want to actually preach the gospel while also looking at this story of Naaman here in the Old Testament. There's a number of things I want to point out to you as we journey through these 14 verses. And the first thing is in verses 1 and 2. Really, really. The first part of verse 2, 1 and the first part of verse 2, is here that we must understand that we have a condition. We have a spiritual disease that actually impacts the totality of our lives. You see here, as Naaman is introduced to us, he is introduced in some grand terms. He is the commander of the army of the king of Syria. And it's actually through Naaman's command that Israel is given to the hands of Syria. We see that the Lord gave victory to Syria, and He did it through this mighty man of valor. At the end of verse 1, Naaman, He gave the victory to Naaman so that Israel, His chosen people, might be destroyed by the hands of Syria. Now you know something about the divided kingdom and you know something about how, uh, how God sends judgment through enemy armies to, to persecute both Israel and Judea. That is what's before us here. The country, the nation of Israel had turned their back on God. They have turned their eyes towards idols and the Lord has spoken judgment against them and it's here that Naaman is the instrument of God's justice. He is a mighty man in the army of the king of Syria. Now you have to understand something about the king of Syria. The king of Syria is the emperor, the dictator, if you will, of the greatest empire that the world has known up until this point. This is a grand army. This is a powerful army. This is a prestigious army. And Naaman is the highest ranking official in this army. In fact, what we know throughout the history of the nation of Israel, written by all the Jewish historians of the day, Second Chronicles 18.33 talks about a Naaman who actually kills the king of Israel by shooting a bow, an arrow, in between the joints of the, the, you know, the king of Israel's armor. And we know actually through history that this is that Naaman. He has killed the king of Israel. He has conquered the nation of God's people. And he is majestic. He is powerful. He is full of valor. But at the very end of verse 1, you see something that has trumped all of this prestige and all of this valor and all of this majesty that Naaman Has the right to because he is a leper. He's a leper. And so, despite Naaman's war victories, despite Naaman's prestige, despite Naaman being one of the most powerful people in the empire of Syria, he has now been banished to the outskirts of the empire. He is not welcome into the city, he is not welcome into the palace. He is not welcome in the presence of the king. He is not even welcome to be amongst the middle class people in the Syrian empire. He is a peasant. Beyond a peasant, he is a leper. He has been sent to the outskirts of the city to essentially die. And you think about Naaman, the mighty man of valor, has the right to all the... The pomp and circumstance of the greatest empire in the known world at this time, who has now been considered worse than a peasant, worse than a slave. He essentially has been told that his life has no value. Naaman, you need to go out to the outskirts of the city and you need to simply die. That is his status. His status is of a dead man. And and, and so you see there that he has a real desperation to be healed. He has a real desire to find a cure for his leprosy because he feels the weight of his disease. He's thinking in his mind, I should be paraded through the streets. I should rule over a dominion here within the empire. I should be the greatest of the great men directly below the king himself because victory has been given to me and victory is mine. And yet there is no pomp and circumstance. There is just a desperation for him to be healed. Commentator after commentator that I read this past week calls his disease a a heavy tax upon his grandeur. An affliction with a disorder most loathsome, most humiliating. It's a disgrace to a human being to be considered a leper. He's stricken. He's deformed. He's disgraced. He's not even considered a person. He's weak. He's dispirited. Again, it talks about how his grandeur and his honor could not protect him from this Disease, but it trumps all things. What I'm trying to say is that Nathan, or Naaman, excuse me he feels the weight of his disease. He knows that he, he knows that he should be dead. In fact, he knows that his status is a dead man. And there's something to be learned there very spiritually. If we are to understand the Gospel rightly, even if we are to come in faith to Jesus Christ, we must understand the disease of our heart, the depravity of our heart. We must understand that apart from Christ and His Gospel, the faith that the Spirit gives to us as a gift so that no man can boast, we must understand that the status... Our spiritual status is that of a dead man. In fact, what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 is that he was dead in his sins and his trespasses. He knew that above all things, above all things, he was a sinner. There's something to be learned here by Naaman. Because no matter how great of a person that we are, no matter how much we give to the poor and how many civic organizations we belong to, no matter how many good deeds that you think you might do, no matter the prestige that you think you might be owed, we are actually dead men, dead women in the eyes of God because we are depraved, we have a diseased heart and And our greatest identity, the utmost identity that we have apart from Christ is a dead sinner. And yet you see that Naaman hears this message of deliverance and he immediately says, I must go to this deliverer, Elisha. And so you see it there at the end of verse 2, really reading through uh, verse 4. As we see in the providence of God, this young girl has been brought out of the land of Israel into the house of Naaman. She's actually Naaman's wife. is her servant. And so she sees the condition of Naaman. She understands how he is desperate for deliverance, desperate to be considered alive again. And so she says to her mistress, Would that my Lord... We're with the prophet, talking about Elisha, who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Now think about this young girl. She is now in a pagan culture. She is now in a pagan home with Naaman's wife. And yet she remembers the stories about how Elisha has cured the waters of Jericho. How Elisha has risen the widow... Uh, the widow's son from uh, the dead. How Elijah before him was called up into the heavens in the, in the fiery chariot. How he has performed miracle after miracle. She knows that through Elisha the Lord is indeed speaking. And, and so she says if, if Naaman can just simply get into the presence of Elisha, he would be cleansed, he would be cleansed. He would be healed. And so she gives Naaman this, this glimpse of hope for his cleansing, for his healing, for his status to change from a dead man to a man who is alive and respected again. And so Naaman went and told his Lord, talking about the king of, of all of Syria, this girl from Israel has told me How I am to be clean. And so the king of Syria says, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 changings of clothes. Here, Here we see very clearly how Naaman hears this message of deliverance, and in his desperation, he runs to the prophet. He desires to get into the presence of the prophet. And and, and again, there's something for us very spiritually to understand that when we hear a word of testimony on how to be clean, we must out of desperation believe. We must out of desperation run to the only hope that we have. Here, it's Elisha, isn't it? that he must get before the prophet of the Lord, Elisha, who is in Samaria. But for us, the gospel message of how we can be cleansed, how our status can be changed from dead in our sins to alive in Christ, is through the person and work of Jesus. Remember at the very beginning of our time in this Uh, or these 14 verses in 2 Kings chapter 5, we said that Christ is the greater Elisha. Through the power of God, Elisha is going to heal Naaman. And yet, leprosy is not what we are struggling with. It's the condition of a sinful, diseased heart. Something greater than leprosy is what's wrong with us. It is that we are wicked to our core and we need a cleansing. We need a healing. And and this cleansing, this healing that we need, Elisha can't provide it. Only Jesus Christ can. And so when we hear this message of deliverance out of pure desperation, first recognizing our sinfulness, we must now cling to to the message of the Gospel, that we can be healed by faith in the Lord Jesus. But we also have to understand as we continue through our text is that we cannot come to any mere man to help us. We cannot come to just any mere man to help us. You see it there in verses the end of verse 5 all the way through verse 8. And he brought the letter, talking about Naaman to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent you Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard, that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. Here it is, that we have something of a dilemma that's unfolding before our eyes. Because we have two unbelieving kings. We have the king of Syria, and we have the king of Israel. The king of Syria... In his mind, as he hears this message of cleansing and of deliverance from Naaman, he thinks, surely if a prophet, this man in Samaria, surely if he can heal Naaman, the king of Israel can heal Naaman. And so he sends a letter to the king through Naaman. And then when the king of Israel reads Naaman's letter, he is offended, he's greatly angry because he knows that he cannot accomplish... Well, the king of Syria has commanded him to do. He cannot heal Naaman of his leprosy. And so now you have kind of battle lines being drawn between these two kings. You know, Syria's king is saying, we're trying to respect the nation of Israel's king. Yes, we've destroyed them. Yes, we have judged them. Yes, we have conquered them, even occupied them. But we're going to let them have their quote-unquote king. Let's see how strong and mighty he is. If you have a prophet in your kingdom that can, that can heal Naaman, surely you, king, can heal Naaman. And then the Israel's king is going, see how he's testing me. See how he wants to ridicule me and quarrel with me because he knows that I cannot do what he is asking me to do. And anger within both hearts of the kings are growing. And Naaman... Before Elisha speaks there in verse 8, Naaman is sitting in the middle and he has absolutely no hope. He has absolutely no answer. Can can you imagine going to the king of Syria? King of Syria, I need to go to this prophet Elisha that, that the girl has told me about. No, I'm sending you to the king of Israel. He gets to the king of Israel. I want to be healed by Elisha the king of Israel tears his clothes, grows in anger and says, you go back to your king and you tell him if he wants a fight, he's going to get a fight. And Naaman's sitting there in all hopelessness. He's heard the message of of cleansing. He's heard the message of hope. He's heard the message of life even. And he's searching an answer. He's searching for these things in these two men. And when Elijah or Elisha, excuse me, speaks in verse 8. We understand that it's not any mere man that can cure the disease of Naaman. It's actually only the Word of the Lord that can declare life, that can declare freedom. And so it is with us. If we're going to search for spiritual healing, for a cleansing... We must understand that the only message of hope comes from the mouth of God Himself. Yes, when the Gospel, when this Word of of power, this Word of cleansing, this word Word of life is given to us, declared to us, we must run to it and we must go quickly to it knowing that's where our only hope is. But how often do we feel distracted by the messages of men? How often do we feel distracted by... The messages of men and and if we ever turn our attention one way or to the other and begin to and begin to think that that mere men can save us that mere men can can change our status that mere men can give us life we will find ourselves like Naaman and be completely hopeless stuck in the middle of a rock in a hard place where with nowhere to turn, but we must only turn to the very words of God that preached to us, not a mere man, but a God-man, the Lord Jesus. The Word who became flesh to dwell among us full of grace and full of truth. The, the God-man who put Himself under the law and yet obeyed the law perfectly in our place, and yet though He was perfect, He died a sinner's death. That is the Gospel message, and that is what the Word of God proclaims. Salvation, life cannot come from any other message. It must come from the message of the Word of God. And then, as we see Naaman coming to Elisha in verses 9-12, through as we see Naaman coming to Elisha to hear the words of God, we also find him at first at least, not accepting the words of God. Naaman comes with the horses and the chariots, all these, uh, all these changing of clothing to present to the prophet, all of this money to present to the prophet. And Elisha doesn't even go out to greet him. He just sends one of his servants, Gehazi, and he says, you go tell him just to dip himself in the Jordan River seven times and then he will be clean. And yet, Naaman, he he grows in his anger, you see in verse 11. He says, there must be something more, isn't there? there? It cannot be that easy. I'm a man of status. I'm a man of prestige. I'm not even going to sink into the muddy waters of the Jordan. I want to go to my home place, Damascus, where we have better rivers, better water than all of Israel. And I want, the, I want the showiness of religion. You see how he says it there, right? Surely the prophet would have come to me and stood up and called upon the name of his the name of his Lord, and he would wave his hand all over the place, and that is how I would cure the leper. But you understand the gospel message is very simple. It's, ve- it's there in in the presence of God, the, the idea there in verse 12, wanting to go back to Damascus, is so he, that he wouldn't be in the nation of Israel, but the nation of Israel is where God dwelt. So you have to be first in the presence of God. You must hear the simple message of the Gospel. And you must obey the Gospel. That, that is how cleansing is Found. You hear the words of God. You hear the gospel of God. You hear the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the message invites you very simply to come. Come, repent, and believe. It's very simple. We can't add to it, we can't take away from it. It's not full of showiness. It's just simply repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. There's no rituals to go through. You just simply come to Christ in faith and repentance. You come and you do what the Lord has commanded. You repent and you believe. That is the message. And that's how cleansing is found. That's what you see in verses 13 and 14. That those who come to Christ for spiritual healing and humble themselves to receive this plain gospel, this simple gospel... Those who repent and believe, those are the ones who are cleansed. You see, it's the servants of Naaman who confront their master. My father, it is a great word from the prophet that he has spoken to you. Will you not do it? What do you have to lose? They're essentially asking Naaman. He just simply said, go to the Jordan, wash and be clean. And so he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. Meaning, his flesh was restored far beyond what he could ever ask or imagine. And he was clean. You know, it's this plain, simple Gospel that is the whole matter of salvation. It's God's message not only to humble us in His presence, but to give us the greatest gift The gift of salvation that we receive through faith. And so it's a picture here, isn't it? Of the Gospel. Naaman simply had to come, humble himself, believe and obey. And beloved, that is the Gospel message for us too. You come, you humble yourself before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You know your condition. I have a disease and I have a sinful heart. And you hear the message of the gospel. The only way that you can be clean is if you'll believe in the message of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you will obey. You will repent and believe, and there will be salvation. There will be life found there. He is able to change your hearts. Let us be thankful to God that He can do it and will do it. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, We do thank you for the opportunity to come to this, your word, and we pray, Lord, that you would draw men, women, and children unto yourself, uh, that you would convince us of our sins, that you would show us the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that you would enable our hearts to repent, believe, obey all that you have commanded us. Thank you for this gospel reminder this morning. Let it resonate in our ears, ring true in our ears, ring afresh in our ears. Uh, throughout this afternoon, so that we might uh, see you more clearly, so that we might love you more and serve you more. Uh, Do a good work here amongst us. Sanctify believers with your gospel. Save sinners with your gospel. We pray these things. Amen.